Good morning, my beloved sweetheart church. Good to see you on this glorious summer day. How many of you have ever received this? Hands up. Yeah, a bunch of us had. I did two weeks ago, so I canceled my appointments, packed my lunch, charged my Kindle, slept down to the courthouse, went through security, joined the cattle call, got my badge, wearing it with pride here, and waited, and waited, and waited, and then lined up and walked into another room, and waited, and answered some questions, and waited and was dismissed and called back that night and came in and did it the next day and repeated it throughout the week, all week. I made it as far as jury selection, uh, but I didn't make the team. Maybe it's because I was carrying the largest Bible I own. (laughs) And wearing a t-shirt that says, Vengeance is mine. Anyhow, I didn't get chosen, but here's what's big for me. I showed up. In the past, I've done everything I could to get out of jury duty. I reached out to all my connections. I worked every angle, came up with every possible excuse, and so far, it worked. But this time, I actually felt differently. Maybe it's because I realized I cannot keep whining about our judicial system if I'm not willing to do my part to try and make it better. This is my duty. I am a citizen. I have a responsibility to my community. And yes, it's a hassle, and yes, it's frustrating. Honestly, maybe even a little disappointing that I didn't get chosen for the team. But this time, I finally stepped up to the plate. And I wonder if this change of heart, in part, had to do with my reflection on this morning's one another. This summer, we're traveling through a few of a collection of the 59 one another's that the New Testament offers to us. These are commandments, instructions about how we ought to live with each other, how we ought to treat each other as brothers and sisters in the church. I wonder how many of them you remember. You already remember Gunner, so that's great. Forgive one another, encourage one another, accept one another, honor one another, pray for one another. And this morning we come to serve one another. Would you say it with me? Here we go. And our text comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is the word of the Lord. The uniqueness of the gospel of Jesus, the uniqueness of the religion that we call Christianity is this. We believe we have been delivered from shoulds and oughts. We have been delivered from shoulds and oughts. Every other world religion has shoulds and oughts. Unlike every other world religion, our salvation, we believe, does not depend upon what I should do or what I ought to do. It does not depend upon my good deeds. It depends upon what God has done in His amazing grace. That is the uniqueness of the Christian faith. We have been set free by Jesus. This is the gospel. But freedom says, 
But Paul says, don't take that freedom for granted. Don't presume upon your freedom. Don't be selfish with the freedom that God has given you in Christ. In your freedom, turn your attention to others. Instead of just loving yourself, love others too. Love them well. And one tangible way, Paul suggests, for us to show that love for one another is through service. Through love, he says, serve one another. And so the simple question for every one of us this morning, the kind of piercing question before each of you is this. Are you a servant? Are you a servant? Are you a good servant of others? In your church, in your home, your family, work, school, in your neighborhood? Do you naturally, instinctively show your love for others by being the first one to step up, the first one to serve, the first one to volunteer, the first one to sign up for the, the lowest job, eager to be there? Honestly, I really want you to ask this question of yourself. Am I a servant? Or maybe the better question would be, what would those around you say? Would those who are around you, who know you best, would they say, you are a servant, yes or no? How well do you serve others? I don't think servant is a very popular word in our culture. Do you? It's not much of a come on. Join Chapel Hill and become a servant. That's never been a tagline that we have chosen. And maybe it's the history of slavery in our nation. Maybe that dark stain upon our soul that causes all Americans to recoil a little bit at the idea of involuntary servitude. And of course, we ought to recoil at that. But this is not that. When Paul says, serve one another, he's talking about a gift freely given. He's talking about a choice that you make to honor your fellow believers by offering your time and your attention and your talent and your sweat. Servanthood is supremely Christian. And it, may, it is about as countercultural as you're going to get. We don't live in a society that honors the servant. We don't aspire to be servants. We don't say, when I grow up, someday I want to be a servant. We want to be served. We want to reach a point of affluence and influence where others serve us. The more people we have serving us, the more proof we have that we've made it. And by the way, in my opinion, I think one of the best gauges of the authenticity of someone's Christian faith is how they treat their servers. The waitress, the cashier, the valet, the sales clerk, the gardener, the garbage man. How do you treat those people? Do you smile at them? Do you learn their name and use it? Do you say thank you for them helping you? Or do you snarl and frown and complain and gasp with exasperation when they don't serve you the way you expect them to? If you look down on your servers, or worse yet, if they are invisible to you, if you don't even see them, then I think that haughtiness calls into question the genuineness of your own Christian faith. And why do I say something so bold? Because I think that's what Jesus is saying in the following text. I want you to listen to this. I think it's the cornerstone passage in the Gospel of Luke, of, of Mark. It comes out of Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 42. 
Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Not so with you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you were to pick one passage in the Gospel of Mark to memorize, I would send you to this one. Because as I said, I think it is the cornerstone of his gospel. And I want to tell you the context of this teaching. Here's what's going on. The apostles James and John, two brothers, brothers, the sons of thunder they're called, they sidle up to Jesus kind of on the sly. They take him aside and say, Lord, we want you to do us a solid. And Jesus says, okay, what, what, do, what do you want? He said, we want you to do us a favor. When you finally take control of everything, they say, and we know that you're going to, when you finally take control of everything, we want to be your top guys. Wherever you sit at the table, we want to sit on either side of you, right and left hand. We want to be your executive VPs. Will you do that for us? Will you make us the bosses over everyone else? It is just awful. Here's what makes it even more awful. Because just before this, Jesus has given them some heartbreaking news. Just before them, this is what Jesus, this, this moment, Jesus had this to say to his disciples. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Now, you would think that the men who had spent three years with Jesus would be horrified at this news, shaken by it, speechless, perhaps. Yet in the very next verse, James and John pull Jesus aside to make this audacious request of him. It's like they were saying, yeah, 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 arrest, betrayal, torture, blah, blah, blah. Sucks to be you. But here's what we want you to do for us. One of the great proofs of the trustworthiness of the Gospels is that they portray their heroes warts and all, and you don't get much wartier than this moment. James and John heartlessly, selfishly ignore Jesus' painful announcement, and they pull him aside so they can outmaneuver the other disciples for their positions of power and preeminence. It is really, really, really awful. The other disciples, we are told, were indignant. Well, I'll bet they were indignant. But I wonder, were they indignant because of the insensitivity of this towards Jesus? Or were they indignant because James and John beat them to the punch? I don't know. At any rate, Jesus, who must have been, after three years, so disappointed, so discouraged, maybe even so disgusted, he pulls all of them together one more time and once more tries to pound this into their thick skull. He says, you live in a culture 
where those in authority, those in power, lord it over others. They boss them. They control them. They make demands on them. They expect to be obeyed and catered to. These are the perks of their power. And then comes his crushing punchline, not so with you. I don't care how the world behaves, Jesus says, not so with you. You will not lord it over others. You will not boss others. You will not intimidate others. You will not seek after and cling to the seats of power and authority. That is not how my people behave. Whew. You think James and John were kind of shriveling off into the background somewhere at this point? Okay then, Jesus, how should we behave? And he continues, you want to be great? Be a servant. You want to be first? Pick last. Choose to be a slave. And then comes the anchor point for all of this. For, he says, that's a hinge word that means you better pay attention because what he's about to say is hinging on what he has just said. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, boys, if I, I, the Messiah, I, the eternal Son of the Father, I, the creator of the universe through whom all things were created, I, the Holy One who took on flesh to come and walk in your midst, I, the second person of the eternal triune Godhead, if even I came to serve rather than be served, what do you think I expect of those who follow me? Jesus' entire life on this earth was service. He healed broken bodies. He restored rotten flesh. He restored unseeing eyes, unhearing ears. He raised the dead. He fed the hungry. He freed the captives. He encouraged the downhearted and the downtrodden. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus came to this broken world to you out of his love. And the way he showed that love, he served us. James Edwards, one of my favorite commentators, he puts it this way in this commentary on Mark. He writes, the preeminent virtue of God's kingdom is not power, not even freedom, but service. We serve one another because Jesus served us. We look at Christ, and when we do, we see him in his glory, in his perfection. But what is he doing? He's down on his knees, washing his unworthy servant's feet, his disciples' feet. We, when we see that, we know that he calls us to join him there, on our knees, in service to others. Henry Nouwen, who's a who was a famed priest and, and writer. He devoted his final years of his life serving in a community of special needs persons. He considered it the greatest honor of his life. And Henry Nouwen once described the incarnation of Jesus, the coming of Jesus to this earth, as what he called downward mobility. Downward mobility. Not upward mobility. Downward mobility. And he would say that Jesus calls us to the same. We don't serve one another because we get something out of the deal. 
We don't serve someone just because it's our duty, although he did teach that too. Turn to Luke 17 sometime and read that pesky little parable about the servant. At our best, though, we serve one another because Jesus served us. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, wrote Paul in his magnificent letter to the Philippians. The example of Christ before us, the Spirit of Christ within us, that is what compels us to follow Jesus in a life of service to one another. And so once I, again, I, I return to my original question, are you a servant? For the sake of Jesus, are you a servant? Would others agree with you? Would your wife agree? Would your husband agree? Your friends? Your kids? Do you willfully, joyfully, intentionally, regularly reach out to serve others? Do you ever do it? I still remember an article I read back in the 70s. That's the dark ages for you people. The, the, long, long time ago. Now, I don't think I read another, I don't remember another thing I wrote, read in the 70s, but I remember this. The main point of that article written by Ben Patterson, I even remember the author it so struck me was, here's what he said, there's no such thing as a volunteer in the kingdom of God. No such thing as a volunteer in the kingdom of God. Only servants. A volunteer is one who out of the kindness of his heart offers his time to some cause. And we consider it noble because he chooses, uh, he chooses to, to volunteer. He, he doesn't have to. He doesn't owe anything to the organization. But out of his generosity and his goodness, he chooses to give up himself. That's what a volunteer is. But the article goes on to say there is no such thing as voluntary service in the church of God. We are not volunteers. We are servants of the Lord. But honestly, I think that most churches around the world, they function in a volunteer mentality, Chapel Hill included. You've heard the 80-20 rule where 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. I think we're doing better than that. I think we maybe 70-30. But we still have a volunteer mentality around here. Someone gets up and makes an appeal from the front, and then you weigh that appeal and decide if it interests you, if you have the time for it, if you can slip it in, if it matches your talents, and then you decide whether or not you will volunteer. The problem is that approach incessantly does not work very well. We ask for a Sunday school teacher or a mission volunteer or a security person or a kitchen help, and out of a listening audience of 1,200, 1,300 on any given Sunday morning, we'll get one or two. It is actually an ongoing, endless slog. And I think it's because we, Chapel Hill, still see ourselves as volunteers, free to choose or not, depending upon our wishes in the work of the kingdom. I think we ought to ban the word volunteer altogether. I think we ought to be done with it. What if we replace the word with servant or servant leader? What if every person who's a part of the church family realized that as a follower of Jesus, the same Jesus who came not to be served but to serve, the same Jesus who said, now you go and do the same thing, what if every follower of Jesus this morning had an epiphany, I'm not a volunteer. 
That's not even an option open to me. I don't have the luxury of deciding whether or not I wish to serve my master and his church. I am a servant. And so the only question would be then, where am I called to serve? Because according to Jesus, service is not an option. Not so with you. I'm not saying that we ought not be appreciative when people do serve. I'm saying thank you is another deep Christian virtue. We ought to encourage and honor each other in our fellow labors. But what I am saying is I think there needs to be a heart shift in about 70% of our church family. A shift away from that optional volunteer mentality and toward the servant mentality which says, this is my Lord, this is my church, this is my church family, these are my issues, my problems, my challenges, my programs, it is my responsibility and I'm going to step up to my part. And the good news is we have some great examples to shine the way for us. I want to share one with you, just one. A couple from California, they don't even live here, a couple from California, they are the parents and grandparents of a Chapel Hill family. And they decided to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary in a most unusual way. They traveled up here and they asked their kids and their grandkids to join them in performing 50 hours of gardening to beautify our parking lot. One hour of service for every year of their marriage. That's what they wanted to do to celebrate their golden anniversary. I couldn't agree more with you. Instead of a cruise, instead of a party, this couple modeled for their children and their grandchildren that a life of service is the best way to celebrate God's blessing upon your family. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I ask you again, are you a servant. Do these words, does this story stir something in you? This morning we come to the table of our servant, Savior, Jesus. And as we share this meal together, I pray that it will prompt you, inspire you, maybe if necessary, convict every one of us to fulfill our call to serve one another as the Lord Jesus has served us. Let us pray. Jesus, we are astounded when we pause to realize that you left the glory of heaven, the perfection of the relationship with your Father that you had known for all of eternity. You left all of that behind. You emptied yourself and took on the form of a servant to come serve us. You served us in your teaching. You served us in your healing. You served us when you cast out evil spirits. But most especially, you served us when you laid down your life for us, that you might purchase us from the enemy of our souls, that you might forgive our sins, this act of great grace. And so, Lord, we thank you for your service to us. And I pray that we would take seriously your call to be servants as well. Not so with you. May we resist the temptation to aspire to what the world does, to grasp and grab after the things of power and importance. Instead, Lord, may we have hearts of genuine service where there's nothing too mean for us, nothing too small for us, nothing beneath us, 
because we belong to the one who lowered himself for the sake of love. And today, as we receive this meal, we are reminded of the depths to which you came, of your shed blood, your broken body, all given to us for your love. So we receive this gift. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for our freedom. We pray that it would be turned to something that makes a difference in the lives of those around us. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.